Right, so some of you may know that when our church started, we started on the 10th of October, 2010. Um, just so easy to remember, 10, 10, 10, 10th of October, 2010, which means that this coming Wednesday is our eighth birthday, which means next week, Sunday, we're just going to spend a bit of time celebrating what God has done. Uh, we've got some news we want to bring to you guys. Uh, so please, uh, whether you're here or whether you're listening online, please make every effort to be here this coming Sunday. We're so excited about celebrating the eight years that we've had, but the 80 years ahead of us, right? Uh, so uh, please be available for that. Now, from time to time, our family will do a highlight, lowlight moments. So we'll say, what is the highlight of your day? And we'll go around the table and we'll share our highlights. And then we'll say, well, what was the lowlight of your day? And then we'll go around and share lowlights. Or maybe it was highlights, lowlights of the holiday. Um, but I wonder if I had to ask you, what are the highlights and the lowlights of your life? All right, um, I know that if I start thinking, what are the kinds of things that make it onto the highlight reel of my life? Uh, for those of you who know me, you know that fishing makes it right up there. Um, a lot of my musical experience makes it right up there. But as much as those experiences have been awesome, the kind of stuff that makes it onto my highlight reel is when I've had great experiences with great people. When I've done awesome things with my family. So some of the high moments of just connection with my wife, family, friends, my sons, that's all going to make it on my highlight reel. But equally, when I think about the kind of stuff that makes it onto my low light reel, it's going to be the kind of stuff where I've really had difficult moments and difficult experiences with people, where I've been hurt and injured by people. And I would wager a bet that most of the things that make it onto your highlight reel of life, as well as most of the things that make it onto your low light reel of life, are going to be awesome experiences with people you love, or very painful and difficult experiences with people. And yet here we are, a bunch of people, all right? The church is people. The body of Christ is people. And here we are connected, people, by a whole lot of different kinds of relationships. And uh, some of them are tighter here. You've got friendships, you've got ministry teams, you've got life groups. Uh, um, uh, some of you, you know, of course, you, you're married and you're family. And then, of course, we've got the relationships that we've got with people outside of this place. So we've got our extended families. We've got uh, people on the other side of the world that we connected to. There's complex network of relationships, such opportunity for highlights and such opportunity for lowlights. So the title of this series is called Relation Slips, Not Relationships. Because it's wonderful when we're in the highlight reel and it's wonderful when relationships are going right. But some of our most painful experiences are when those relationships slip and somebody gets hurt. And lucky for us, um, the Bible has a whole lot to say about relationships, and the Bible has a whole lot to say about when those go wrong, about relation slips. So um, I hope that over the next four weeks, God is going to enable us to deal with some of the difficult moments in our relationships. Maybe you're sitting here, and you don't even need to think too hard about some of those relationships that have gone wrong. Maybe right now you're sitting in a difficult marriage. Maybe right now, in fact, that marriage has dissolved and is coming to an end. 
Maybe you're in a strained relationship with someone in your immediate family or in your extended family. There's great pain and difficulty there. Maybe you've recently gone through a breakup. Maybe someone's bullying you or your kids at school or at varsity. Maybe you've got a colleague that is just making life so difficult for you. Maybe even sitting next to the person who has caused you this kind of pain. Right? Don't point. Just look straight ahead. Um, Maybe you've tried to forgive. Maybe you've tried to, to put out a bit of an olive branch, but that's being thrown back in your face. Maybe you're sitting here and you're in a relation slip and you don't even want to forgive. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible's got a lot to say about relationships and relation slips. And the book we're going to use, just as our foundation for the next four weeks, is going to be the tiny one-pager book, the book of Philemon. Now, if you've got one of these, it's a Bible, it's not an actual physical paper Bible. Um, you're going to kind of go through the New Testament. You're going to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those big name books. You're going to get through the big books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then you're going to get to the 40s, right? The one and two, th- uh, Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And then you'll find Philemon. All right, you've got to go in that much detail, otherwise you flick right past it. If you're working backwards, Revelation's a big book, you find Hebrews, another big book, turn back one page, and there you'll find Philemon. Otherwise, just type it into the app, and it'll come up. Um, maybe a little bit of an easier way to find it. This may be a short book, but it's so powerful, as it speaks to us about forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationships. Basically, the context of this book is that there was um, a, a guy called Philemon. He had uh, a, a, probably a wealthy guy, got a number of people working for him, got an extended family, actually had a bit of a house church on his property. And uh, one of his slaves, something went wrong, and one of his slaves escaped and went to Rome. Slave's name was Onesimus. While in Rome, he encounters Paul. He was actually in prison. And Paul uh, helps Onesimus to cross the line of faith and trust Jesus Christ. And now Paul is acting as this kind of mediator between Onesimus and Philemon. And he's saying, listen, Philemon, I know that there's been this offense. I know that there's been this difficulty. But guys, we need to reconcile you. We need to forgive. I'm sending him back to you. And before we even read, I want us to notice how important this was to Paul. And while it's a short book, it's a whole book on reconciliation and forgiveness. For so many of us, when something goes wrong in a church context, we just get a huff and we leave and we go to another church. We don't want to deal with it. And Paul takes this lovingly but courageously head on. And I think the, the encouragement for us is, as much as Paul courageously dives into this relation slip looking for forgiveness and reconciliation. So we too need to do the same and have the courage that God's going to speak to us, give us the necessary courage over the next four weeks to face some of the difficulties we've got in our relationships, take it seriously and trust God to provide the grace that we need. So by now you've found Philemon. So I'm going to read um, at least half the book this morning uh, just to set the context. So from verse one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. 
I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Bold, underline, highlight that. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So there was an offense, there was a difficulty. Onesimus ran. Nesimus became a Christian and now Paul is trying to say, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to work about, uh, work on reconciliation and forgiving. And in fact, the end point of this relationship is going to be higher than the one where it started. But listen, Philemon, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm not going to force you to do this. So I'm going to appeal to the goodness of your heart. I'm going to appeal to your maturity. I'm going to appeal to love. And guys, that is my appeal to you as we deal with this. I don't want you to feel somehow coerced by me or a life group leader or any other leader in this room here that you somehow feel like you have to forgive and reconcile because that will never be genuine. What I want to do is sell a vision to you that maybe God can do more in this relationship and I don't know that time scale. I don't know how long it's going to take. It will definitely be difficult. But I want to appeal to your love. I want to appeal to your maturity. I want to appeal to your grace as we get very practical. The last series I know that we've done has been kind of very intellectual, uh, very cerebral. This series is going to be insanely practical. Uh, it's giving us some real handles to go forward. So in this case, there was an offense. Onesimus ran away. We don't know the conditions why he ran away, but he ran away. Now, maybe you're thinking about an offense. Maybe you're thinking about what this person did to you to cause you to feel offended. Now, I want to recognize that there's two types of offense. I want to talk about there's a genuine offense where someone genuinely hurts you. Someone genuinely stole from you. And I don't just mean things. I mean, stole joy, stole life, stole time from you because of this offense. That would be a genuine offense. And if you're thinking about genuine sin, genuine pain, genuine offense, we're going to hold off on that until next week and spend the next three weeks talking about that. But there's also a world of a difference between a genuine offense and our current culture where we're offended by everything. I mean, I, I literally was reading online a couple of weeks ago about some of the longest uh, uh, and most popular blog sites that are closing down simply because these people who are writing about all sorts of things have realized I can't put a single word online without thousands of people taking offense. We're in this hyper-offended culture. 
And I'm just wondering how many times you and I are walking around feeling offended unnecessarily. Again, not discounting, there are real times of real offense and real sin. And again, that's for next week. But can we grow through some of those moments where we are being unnecessarily offended? And can God grow us in this? And can God mature us in this? Um, I, I saw a video that I think illustrates the kind of hyper-offensive culture that we're living in at the moment. So I'd love you guys to uh, watch this. Since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective. As long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book, because I know you, you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally, even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I'm offended that you don't have my new book yet. All right, so how many of us can identify with that? I mean, if you are on social media or if you read News 24, that is what it is like all the time. Maybe that's what your friendship circle is like. Maybe that's what your experience of church and ministry has been like. So how are we going to grow through this? And this is where I believe that we need some real solid biblical wisdom uh, so that we can deal with this in mature ways. So I'm going to read Proverbs 19, verses 11, written by the wisest man who's ever lived. Uh, he didn't always live. Solomon didn't always live according to his wisdom. But this is what he said in Proverbs 19, 11. A man's wisdom 
gives him patience. I want you to see the connection between wisdom and patience. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now right here in the crosses, I want us to see the connection between wisdom, glory, patience, and overlooking an offense. In other words, the wiser you get, the more capacity you have for overlooking offense. The wiser you get, the more patience you have. But somehow, even in Christian culture, this version of Christianity has crept in that the wiser or the, the more mature you are, the more able you are to criticize other people. You've got the spiritual gift of being critical, being offended by everything, and spiritual gift of emails Monday morning. And I mean, you guys have actually been good on this, but I speak to other pastors every Monday morning. They, they're so afraid of opening up their inbox. Whole bunch of people just right, criticizing and being offended by everything that they said. And by the way, I'm not promising you're not going to be offended by what I preach about today. But um, somehow we think that's maturity. Being hypercritical, being offended by everything. When in fact the Bible is so clearly saying, listen, the more wise you are, the more mature you are, the more capacity you have for overlooking an offense. The more capacity you have for patience, the more capacity you have for love, the more capacity you have for kindness, the more capacity you have for long suffering. And some of you will realize I've just started on another list we find in the New Testament, what we know as the fruits of the spirits. Or what is the fruits of the spirits? It's nothing short of the character of Christ being formed in you. Ultimate maturity is going to be the character of Christ being formed in you. And these words are used to describe that. Patience, a fuse getting longer, our capacity to suffer long, kindness. I mean, let's think about Jesus for a second. The scriptures say that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and yet he did not even open his mouth. And let's talk about an offense, a mock trial. Witnesses lying about you, being betrayed and ultimately being killed for false information. And yet you and I want to get offended because you read somebody's Facebook post or something on our news feed and our whole day is ruined and we have to invite everybody else into that unhappy space, right? So let me ask you, when did that ever work for you? When did getting offended unnecessarily offended, ever enrich your friendships? When did getting offended ever enrich your marriage? When did getting offended ever rich, enrich relationships in your life group or your ministry teams? And I think you and I know the answer to that. It's never done that. The fruit of getting offended has never resulted in greater love and has never resulted in stronger friendships. Uh, I love um, Richard, who's here this morning. He shared this concept with me a couple of years ago, this concept of having emotional sunburn. I mean, right now, my physical body has no sunburn, which means when I put clothes on, somebody bumps into me, somebody pokes me, somebody touches me, somebody punches me on the shoulder, bump into some people in the foyer. I, I don't really feel anything. I can actually cope with all of that stuff. But if I've got sunburn, even putting a shirt on is painful. And somebody just has to come and touch me and I respond. Now, if we've got emotional health, 
That means we can deal with a bit of jostling, a bit of overlooking an offense, but you know, everyone around us, including you, is imperfect, and we can actually cope with that. That's emotional health. But if we've got emotional sunburn, all we need is one little thing to touch me or perceived to touch me. Man, and the whole world needs to know about it. That's what we're talking about this morning. So how can we do this? How can we mature through this? And I want to give you a couple of questions to think through. And whether you're feeling like uh, this is for you or not right now, I really encourage you to write these down because those moments may come where you need to deal with this in your life. But question number one is this. What is your tendency? In other words, do you tend to be easily offended? And maybe you think the way you respond to news and Facebook and everything else happening is normal and maybe everyone should respond more like you. Why don't you have the courage to ask some friends? Ask your wife, ask your husband, ask your kids. Do I get easily offended? Just don't be offended when they tell you the truth. <laughs> right? What is your tendency? It's worth knowing that maybe you've got a proclivity to be offended more easily than others. That's worth knowing about yourself. And if that is you, if you can say, listen, I'm offended all the time. How are you going to know if you get offended all the time? Well, you're going to be critical of everybody else's faults. You're going to struggle to see your own. You're always going to be criticizing people. You're going to always feel like it's up to you to go and correct everybody else around you. But man, the minute somebody brings up something in your life, you're, the whole world is going to fall apart. Those are probably some good indicators that you've got a tendency to be easily offended. Maybe you've got a whole lot of people in your life who have been trying to tell you. Maybe you just get too easily offended. Maybe today's the day you take notice of that. And if that is you, I, I ask you to humble yourself and just to acknowledge that, confess it to God. God, I get easily offended. I don't know why. And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to get to the root of it for you. But at least confess it to God. I get easily offended. Now you're in the light. Now you can move, now you can grow, now you can mature. Now you can repent, which means change direction, change how you act, change how you think. So knowing what your tendency is, is a good place to start so that you can move, you can invite God into your life, you can invite His Spirit to do a work in you and you can mature through this. Question number two, so you're offended. Here's question number two. Can you overlook this sin? Now, I know we've got the sense of justice within us and all sin must be dealt with. Well, here's a verse that I think is going to be so helpful to us. This verse that we just read now. If you're going to be wise, that means you're going to be patient. One of the ways we glorify God is learning the ability to overlook an offense. Right? So how do we do that? Well, here are some good reasons to overlook a sin. Number one, it's actually small and unimportant. Now I know that when something goes wrong, right in that moment, it feels like the whole world is falling apart, right? Have you ever had that moment where, man, you, you rip it to somebody or you, you get offended and you climb into them and a few days later, a few weeks later, you look back and you go, oh my word, I really made a big deal out of, out of nothing. So, so maybe... Maybe we can pause long enough on the front end to realize we don't have to rip into this person first and then figure out afterwards that this was actually small and unimportant. And in fact, I think both the Christian and the non-Christian literature would tell us that that is called emotional intelligence to stop, 
to recognize here's what I'm feeling and I feel like this is the worst thing anyone could ever do to me. But if I think about it, if I pray about it, I get some insight from other people. It's actually small and unimportant. And therefore, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to overlook this offense. It is to my glory, to God's glory, and it is for my wisdom. Another good reason to overlook a sin is there's other stuff going on in your world. I know that if I wake up, and for whatever reason I wake up super tired, I just know that I'm susceptible to the smallest little things ticking me off in a big way. And, and, and sometimes I get this right, sometimes I don't, but sometimes I wake up and I realize and I literally say to myself, Stephen, you're tired. Before you see the kids, before you open up your email, just know you're tired. Take note of this other thing going on in your life so that when these other things come along, I can realize maybe I'm responding out of my tiredness and not to this offense, right? Maybe you're going through something difficult at work and the smallest little thing at home ticks you off. Maybe it's worth knowing, wow, there's something else going on in my life. I'm going to have a bit of sunburn here. And therefore, I'm going to be aware of that. I'm going to ask for grace. I'm going to ask for God's work in my life. I'm going to be alert to this. Maybe, and there's another reason to overlook an offense. There's something else going on in their life. Maybe what they've just said or done has nothing to do with you. How many times have you figured out that that is exactly the case? It was either completely unintentional I mean, this is what Bianca and I are, are, are learning very slowly in marriage, that sometimes, man, we're offended by something the other person said or did. We have a conversation and we realize, oh, but he or she is going through something incredible. And, and that's the real issue. Suddenly the offense fades away, right? Something going on in your life, something going on in their world. Here's another reason to overlook an offense. Personal preference versus real right and wrong. Now, I know I confuse this all the time. I, 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 I honestly feel like I'm right most of the time. But I started to realize that sometimes, and Bianca's writing this down. She's like, Stephen, I'm quoting you on this. But what we're starting to figure out is that sometimes that's just the way I like it. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just here's how I like it. That's how you like it. And that's Okay. And there's a world of difference between being offended by something that is genuinely wrong, genuinely sinful, genuinely destructive, and simply personal preference. Now, I could maybe make this list a bit longer, but there are four good reasons for you to overlook an offense, as this verse says, to grow in wisdom and patience. But before I move on to the next big question, what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't learn the ability to overlook an offense and we get offended by small things or personal preference things? Well, Proverbs 17 verse 9 says this, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter, in other words, gets stuck into this, gets offended, separates close friends. So I'm just going to ask you what's on the screen. This is not Stephen. This is not the, you know, some other Christian author. This is the Bible. What is being said here? He who covers an offense promotes love. Say it all out aloud. He who covers over an offense promotes love. That's what happens if we learn to do this well. 
But whoever repeats, repeats the matter, read this out loud with me, separates close friends. When we're so easily offended, we live in this constant state of sunburn. Have you not found that marriage gets harder? Have you not found that friendship circles get smaller? Have you not found that long-standing friendships become strained? Have you not found that this becomes a lose-lose situation? I want to remind you something I say from here so often. And when God speaks to us practically about these things, this is not something He wants from you, this is something He wants for you. And God wants your relationships to thrive. God wants your family and your marriage and your friendship relationships to thrive. And if those are to thrive, every single one of us needs to take very seriously how to overlook an offense if it is unnecessary offense. Again, the skills required when there's a genuine offense is from next week onwards. So the first question, just to help us think about this, is what is your tendency? Question number two is, can you overlook the sin? And question number three is, are you receiving light? Now, what do I mean by that? The Bible's got a whole category of feedback which makes us feel uncomfortable. So the Bible uses words like, and may feel like criticism, but all these words that I'm about to mention to you are for your growth and your maturity. Again, as uncomfortable as these words make you feel, this is something God wants for you, not from you. So the Bible talks about being admonished. The Bible talks about being rebuked. The Bible talks about being corrected. Now, who here, no false humility allowed, who here loves being rebuked? Who here loves being corrected? Who here loves being admonished? Can't wait for the next email to admonish me. No, no one here loves that. But when done properly, and now I understand, if we're talking about correction and this fuzzy place of being rebuked and corrected and admonished, I know so often the messenger gets it wrong. And the rebuke is actually out of play. Or the correction is wrong. Or maybe the correction is based on personal preferences. But I'm asking the question, is there any genuine light coming your way? Where in spite of the messenger, in spite of how it's being said, God is bringing your attention to something. He's trying to shine some light into your life. And the question is, how are you going to respond in that moment? Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a Christian psychologist and, and he just tends to have such great wisdom around so many issues. Uh, and, and he notices that if you look around the book of Proverbs and read through it, there's really three types of people in the book of Proverbs. There's the wise, there's the foolish, and there's the evil. And the question is always, are, are you going to respond like the wise? Or are you going to respond like the foolish? Or are you going to respond like the evil? And if you read through the book of Proverbs and just kind of type those words into a bit of a search engine and read this for yourself, you will notice that at the top, the biggest differentiating factor between those who are wise, those who are foolish, and those who are flat out evil is how you respond to incoming light. So the wise, the wise receive light. And they've got the discernment to recognize sometimes, man, the messenger, they, they, they said it wrong. Uh, maybe they were angry. Maybe they were upset. But the light that came to me is genuine. This is actually somehow God using an imperfect moment to perfect me. And the wise, they adjust themselves to the light. 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, God's word is there to rebuke and correct us. So when I'm reading God's word, and as much as it sometimes makes me feel uncomfortable, the wise person, uh, uh, they accommodate themselves to the lights. Proverbs 9 verses 8 and 9 says this, Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. But here's what the fool does. The same light comes to the fool. And, and, and maybe the light comes in the form of a kind of unfair criticism, but maybe there's a true point there. Or maybe it comes in the most loving circumstances. The fool shoots the messenger. The fool adjusts the light to their situation. So they diminish the light. They dim the light. They externalize. They make it about everybody else. And in that way, they remove themselves from the opportunity to be transformed into God's likeness. So when light comes to a fool, it says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Maybe you've experienced that. And finally, if you look in the book of Proverbs, the wicked, they've just got destruction in their hearts. They just want to destroy the friendship. They just want to destroy the organization. They just want to destroy the church. And the Bible kind of warns about wicked people. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. So a wicked person doesn't respond by adjusting themselves to the light. They don't even respond like a fool by playing some sort of you know, a gymnastic game with the truth. They actually turn around with poison. They turn around with destruction. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Guys, and, and before we move on, I want to say, if you do want to grow and mature in this area and your ability to overlook an offense, somehow you need to figure this out. Somehow you need to figure out that when light comes your way, and yes, so seldomly do those conversations go well. And it is going to be so easy to shoot the messenger all the time. Next week, we're going to talk about how we can have these kinds of conversations in more constructive ways. But you need to figure out how are you going to discern wrong criticism where it is. It's their issue. It is their personal preference. They're making a mountain out of a molehill. They're taking a side issue and making it a central issue. You need to discern how you're going to respond in those moments. And are you going to respond in wise ways? But also you need to figure out that regardless of how the light comes to you, how are you going to respond in light of that? Pun unintended. So I want to talk about quickly about two broken ways to not get offended. Because the goal of today is not to do everything in our power to not get offended. Because there are actually broken, destructive ways to not get offended. And the one way is the thick-skinned approach. Now, often that's what we default to. Well, I've been so hurt, I'm so offended. I'm just gonna build this barrier around me. I'm not gonna let anything hurt me ever again, right? And I understand that. But sometimes our skin gets so thick not only do we never get offended by anything, but we've got no capacity for love, no capacity for relationship, no capacity for genuine conversation, no capacity for intimacy in relationship. So that's a broken way to not get offended. Another broken way to not get offended is what I tend to do, sweep it under the carpets. And as we saw in that video earlier, all that happens is that it actually builds up. And eventually the smallest thing goes wrong and everything comes out, Right? The goal is not just to not get offended. The goal is to grow in wisdom. 
and love and grace and glory. See, when, when, when the Bible talks about covering over sin, covering over an offense, I believe it's talking about an emotionally mature way of understanding what's going on in you, understanding what's going on in the other person and still choosing grace. Still choosing love, still choosing wisdom and still choosing maturity in spite of how sometimes your emotions want to take you somewhere else. So next time you're offended, and maybe that's right now, as I said, I want to suggest that you take your time to work through these questions. What is your tendency? You can only win by knowing that about yourself. Maybe plot yourself on a scale of two, one to ten. How easily am I offended? Number two, can you overlook the sin? Is it small? Is it unimportant? Is there other stuff going on in your life? Is there other stuff going on in their life? Is it unintentional? Maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe you're making a big thing out of a small thing. Can you overlook it? And then number three, are you receiving light? Maybe there have been a number of people coming around you, a number of friends, a number of uh, uh, people in your family, a number of leaders trying to get you to understand something destructive in your life and you're just acting like the fool. You're changing the truth to suit your circumstances. Maybe there's some light in that and maybe it's worth adjusting yourself to the light, right? But maybe you feel... Stephen, that still doesn't give me enough practical handle. I don't really know how to do that. So I want to give you two more thoughts so that we can navigate this with a bit more wisdom and grace. And out of those two things, the first one is this. So point number four is this. Do this with God. And guys, I once want to say that this is the most important step over it all. Because maybe you're struggling to see the wood from the trees. Maybe you're struggling to know if this is a big thing or a small thing. Maybe you're struggling to figure out, is this connected to anything else going on in my life or anything else going on in their life? You know who does know? God knows. You know who does have your best interest at heart? He does. You know who wants your relationships to thrive? He does. You know who wants you to flourish in a network of relationships? God does. So go to Him. And just get real with Him for a second. God, I'm offended. Here's what so-and-so said. Here's what so-and-so did. Now God, speak to me. I encourage you, this might be a good moment to have a journal open, have your phone open. Write down what you feel that God is saying. God, have the maturity to pray. God, is this just me? Is this just a personal preference issue? Would you show me? Maybe God shows you some verses of Scripture. Take note of those. Allow Him to speak to you. Allow Him to transform your heart and your emotions. I don't always get this right, but I can tell you when I do, there's just so much more grace for the situation than when I don't. I'm not saying it's like a a silver bullet to make everything go well. I'm just saying there's more grace. There's more perspective. There's more of Him in the encounter. Do it with God and finally, And I know some of us hate this. Do this with others. I'm not saying gather all the people who are going to tell you how awesome you are. and I can't believe you said that. I can't believe she said that. And and give you permission to act like a total idiot. I'm not saying do that. I'm saying get some wise counsel around you. Get some people in your life that are going to have the love to tell you the truth. Stephen, you're making a big deal out of nothing there, bro. They're going to have the courage to say, listen, I, I think... 
this is connected to some other issues in your life. Let's rather go there and allow God to deal with you there. Maybe you should drop this and overlook this. Do you have people in your life, friends, people in life group, leaders, that you can go to and you can trust them to give you the truth? And you can always take the truth and go back to point four. Take it to God. Take some time. See, what happens in this feedback loop is number one, I use the word now already, time. Time is wonderful when you've been offended. Time is a gift. But the other thing that happens here is perspective. You open yourself up to God's perspective. You open yourself up to the perspective of wise people around you. Man, that just sets you up for more grace, right? In those moments of unnecessary offense. Guys, imagine we did that. Imagine every person in this room. Imagine the, the, the level of unnecessary offense concerning everyone in this room went down by like 80%. Imagine what that would do for your friendships. Imagine what that would do for your marriage, for the relationship with people in your family. Imagine what that would do for your life group. If we could mature through unnecessary offense, But imagine we took it beyond this. I mean, imagine a world. In the world of unnecessary offense, and again, I'm thinking social media, I'm thinking News 24, and just by the way, if you're finding yourself offended 20 times by the time you've been on two minutes on Facebook, why didn't you take a break from Facebook? Right? Just allow God to work in your heart for a while. Strengthen that immunity a little bit and then go back to, you know, that dark world of social media. Right. But just imagine, imagine the unsettled, emotive, offended voice of Christians were removed from the public world. Either because we realize, man, I'm being offended and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Or because when we did speak, we spoke with grace. We spoke with perspective. We spoke with love. I love that verse in Colossians. Always let your conversations be filled with grace and seasoned with salt. I think many times our conversations are filled with salt and seasoned with grace. Right? Imagine the nature of the public dialogue was changed because of the absence of Christians being offended at everything. And when the voice was there, it was the voice of grace. It is the voice of love, the voice of wisdom and perspective. Man, that that kind of world makes me start feeling a little bit optimistic, right? Imagine what your workplace could look like. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that God deals with us. And again, if you're thinking, man, oh man, I'm glad that he's sitting next to me because this sermon's for them. No, it's for you. Start with you. Let you become the change in this space. So let us pray. Father God, we thank you that grace and wisdom resides in you. And that song that the more we live in you and you in us, so we are transformed. And one of the areas that we are going to be transformed is in this area of being unnecessarily offended. Living this life with emotional sunburn. God, I ask before I continue praying for that, Lord, that I know that there are some people here who have been offended deeply and are needing to think about forgiveness and reconciliation. And I pray for courage to be back here next week. 
I pray that you would start massaging their hearts with your grace and your perspective so that as we navigate the true difficulties of life, we can go there with your power. But God, we want you to eliminate unnecessary pain, unnecessary offense. And Lord, I ask that your light would shine, that those moments where you wanted us personally to take notice, that's me. God, show us that. Let that be burnt into our consciences so that we can take notice of your perspective, what you're wanting to say to us and how you are wanting us to be transformed. And God, I pray that we would grow in grace. I pray that Riverside would grow in patience. I pray that we would grow in the fruits of the Spirit, grow in our character of Christ. And that a lot of the small things that really make life so hard, we would be able to overlook with grace. God, we need supernatural power for that. Our flesh is not wired to do that. But Jesus, you did that. And your spirit is in us. So God, give us your grace. We rely on your grace to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Guys, don't forget. Get onto that app, sign, update your details on the database. This is going to help us all uh, surf around and have a look. And um, uh, guys, have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next week. Amen.